Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Sarah Fenske. The music of the Caribbean and Latin America draws heavily on African roots. There's good reason for that. During the colonial years, many, many enslaved Africans were brought to the area, and their cultures mixed with indigenous Americans, Europeans, and Asians. Musically, that created new sounds. Salsa, rumba, merengue, bachata, reggae. And that is Mambo Gojan by Puerto Rican musician Tito Puente. Now, Afro-Latin music like this may not be what the Midwest is known for, but it has a devoted following here. Salsa nights have been big draws in Chicago, Kansas City, and, of course, here in St. Louis. Club Viva here in the Central West End has been a salsa mainstay for 26 years. And here to discuss the region's Afro-Latin music scene is Pablo Sanhueza. He's a salsa and Latin jazz band leader, also known as the region's premier salsa and Latin jazz percussionist. Pablo, welcome to the show. How are you? Thank you so much for inviting me. And we're also joined by Carmen Gwynn. She's a salsa instructor and the artistic director and owner of Almas del Ritmo Dance Company here in St. Louis. Carmen, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Glad to be here. So, Pablo, let's start with you. For those who aren't even sure what we're talking about when we say Afro-Latin music, what are some of the distinctive features and and the instruments that make them? In the music that that is is known today as salsa, it it goes back to African drumming, the, the remnants of African drumming, and also the storytelling of the Spanish gypsy song, these songsters, you know, the songwriters. So it's a mix there. It's, it's a story, usually, of uh, existential or personal or political many times, accompanied by these rhythms. Also, the griot traditions of Africa re reemerge in this music, as well as the Spanish guitar in the form of the Cuban tres. Mm. It's a modified, it's a modified Spanish guitar. Every region in Latin America has a unique version of this guitar, and they all have different names. Uh, you know, the the in, in the southern Mexico they have an entire family of Spanish descent guitars, and that's the root of son jarocho. Also, also music of mix uh, the music mix uh, the mixes the, the traditions of Africans, American Indians and the Spanish. Also, when we're talking about the Spanish, that is, is not a monolithic group, you know, mm-hmm. in, in the, 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 the armies were enlisting people who was desperate in Europe because of the Inquisition. Everybody who was not uh, white and Catholic uh, was, was basically being expo- uh, ex- uh, ex- exiled from Europe at the time. Mm-hmm. So those are the those are the that's that's the rank and file of this conquista of the war of conquest uh, the war to conquer what we call today the Americas. It was a very incredibly diverse group of people that uh, displaced Europeans of all types and the different regional uh, American uh, kingdoms, the American Indians, 
and the different groups brought from Africa, from the, the Bantu people, the Yoruba, and, and so many others. But those we, will be the main, mm -hmm. the more distinctive groups. Uh, for many centuries, it, it, was, it was the people from Congo who was brought for, for, the, for the first two centuries of, the, of, of, of this transatlantic slave trade. It was mainly people from Bant, uh, people of the Bantu uh, kingdom of, of Africa. Oh, okay, so these these certain African regions um, combined with all yes, these they, other influences um, to come before, together. Yeah, and before other and other kingdoms from Africa were brought here, it was the Congolese people that was almost exclusively brought to Latin America for almost a century or more. Then after that, other groups were were brought in, and. Uh, so that it was the Congo, the Bantu people who laid the foundations for what we call Latin American music with the rhythms. And, mm. and, and in that honor, the conga drum is called conga. It hmm. does to, to honor the Congo people, you know? It's a, in, in, in the Caribbean, the, the most common name for the drum is tumbadora. They don't, they don't use mm. call them tumbas, not congas. Conga. Now, now, Carmen, um, when you teach these different styles of music, when you're teaching things like salsa and merengue, you compare the music to North American styles. What are some things where you see those those points of commonality? Well, I, I think, first of all, I always go back to the, the history and what uh, Pablo is saying is so true. I think it's important that people, when they learn to dance, that they understand where the movements and the music is coming from. And so we use a lot of the rumba which uh, has many rhythms, but uh, one of the main one is the Cuban song. And mm. so that is, that's the organized sound of the trumpets, uh, which is so heavily uh, influenced with uh, salsa music in general. Yeah. So, I mean, that's yeah, the thing I think so, we all think of when we think of salsa. Absolutely. And so with that being said, you know, a lot of people, and even when I teach um, younger uh, kids, because they don't understand how salsa music or Latin music can relate to some of the hip hop that they do. Um, you know, I show them where the drums come in, where the, and for the younger people, it's a beat. So it, it, it has the same beat or the rhythms and so that's where they start to understand how movement can take place. Hmm. Now, when we talk about people learning to salsa dance here in St. Louis, the place to do that is Club Viva. It opened in 1996, and the current owner, that's Cesar Cardona, he wasn't the one who opened it, but he was friends with the people who did. And he said that before that, Latin music gatherings here really focused on Mexican music, that Club Viva helped to, to open that and change that. Let's listen. Club Viva became an icon in St. Louis. And also when we when I move over here, mainly those couple Mexican places with this Mexican music is, is very unique and it really doesn't represent the other part of the Caribbean or the or the, the Afro Latin music. It's totally different, you know. So so bring from Colombia this music we represent more that the Caribbean music, the Afro beat than Mexican, right? So so we, when when I came over here, very important is it wasn't many things going on and also not many people knew about our music either. So we were the pioneers opening this club. Uh, beside the club, we start teaching people how to dance, the different rhythms from salsa to merengue, cha-cha-cha, and after that, bachata. So we, we've been doing this from the beginning. 
teaching people how to dance. And that again is Cesar Cardona, who owns Club Viva. Now, Carmen, you've said that Club Viva opening was really a pivotal moment for you. Why is that? It was. Um, matter of fact, um, Cesar and I were dance partners for several years. Um, I've been dancing in salsa for over 20 some odd years. But um, we never had that. And and just my background in general, I mean, I've had uh, uncles who were avid of jazz, which has a heavy influence. Uh, Roger Webb and my late uh, uncle Wardell Bolden were avid of, of, of jazz, uh, which had Latin influences as well. But we never had something in the St. Louis region that um, hone in or just uh, uh, had allowed people to enjoy the Latin music. Hmm. And so by Club Viva opening the way it did and Cesar and myself started teaching it, it gave people a new perspective of what was out there, especially with Afro-Latin music, uh, which is not seen when you think of Latin music as a whole. Now, Pablo, you've been more involved um, with the Kansas City scene, and you've described Salsa Night as Kansas City's best-kept secret. You'd have five or six hundred people would all come out. Um, when was the heyday for that scene? That when when we first uh, uh, outreach to the venue scene in Kansas City in the mid-90s, there was uh, no, nobody knew about this music uh, uh, in, in the region, the locals, you know. So in the very, in the, in the entertainment district here in Kansas City, uh, the Westport, Westport is called, um, there was one venue, one venue owner who took a chance with us and allowed us to, to use his patio, hmm. the patio of a big club. He has a Beaumont, which is indoors, and then he had the patio. And then he said, well, if you guys can administrate this whole thing, uh, you can use it. So within a year, we were moving 600 people every Saturday night, and that and that remained for 10 years, and that was part of the entire music scene in the, this entire region. Hmm. Because, we, because we used to go play the the St. Louis Hispanic Festival, and and we mm-hmm. never we mm-hmm. never heard of anything going on in in St. Louis as yeah. far as venues or festivals that include this music. So. As far as the history that we have researched with with the co-founder of the orchestra, who is a professional historian, uh, what we have is that salsa music is spread from Kansas City into the rest of the Midwest, without counting Chicago, because Chicago, mm-hmm. although it's part of the Midwest, I don't really don't count it as a Midwest town. Hmm. Chicago might argue with that, but for the purposes of our show today, we'll accept (laughs) your definition. Um, Carmen, I hear you you agreeing with Pablo there. You feel like it's spread from Kansas City to here. Does does that sound like the right migration? Um, uh, Pretty much. Um, Like I said, it was was very, very few representation here in the city of of Latin music at all. And so, um, you know, between uh, Kansas City and Chicago, because we do have, we had a lot of dancers that were um, in that region as well. So mm-hmm. from that aspect, no, it wasn't hardly anything back then. Um, and, and, and so Kansas City, many of artists from there would come to Club Viva to uh, perform. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, the orchestras would come to perform. And and Pablo, mentioning orchestras, you co-founded the Kansas City Latin Jazz Orchestra. I understand it's it doesn't just perform, it's also an educational nonprofit. You're teaching the kids salsa and, yeah. and Latin jazz. Correct. Yes, we are putting an emphasis on passing on this music to the youth. In a, 
because the I did go to Club Viva to play many times with the mm. with the with the bands here from Kansas City. We went mm -hmm. many times and and the different names uh, and uh, in in Kansas City along with the salsa orchestra that now we call it Los Subtropicales, like the Subtropicals, that's, that's the name of the orchestra, is parallel to the Kansas City Latin Jazz Orchestra, because with the Kansas City Latin Jazz Orchestra, as a, we, we are aiming to the concert halls, mm -hmm. because this music, Tito Puente, Eddie Palmieri, mm -hmm. all these guys would play a, a, salsa, a, a dance club, but they would also play concert halls, you know? The, uh, the most prestigious concert halls in the world. And that's the struggle that we are at right now. We want to mm -hmm. take, we have already proven that this music has a popular appeal that transcends nationalities and ethnic or origin. But, but also now we're in the struggle to uh, attain inclusion in concert halls because this music, as much as uh, uh, the most popular elements salsa is the most popular form of latin yes. jazz mm -hmm. yes salsa belongs to, is part of latin jazz it's just the most popular form because yeah. of the because the entire song is is is, is created using this element in latin in, in latin jazz there is more of an exploratory uh, ethos to it in which we can play instrumental pieces and uh, in which we can for example rescue or, or, or unbury an old folk song from whatever region in Latin America and make an arrangement to it and present it in a Latin jazz orchestra setting. That is, that is, those are the, 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 the range that this music has. Can, can be strictly for dance, can be strictly for listening to and everything in between. So and, and Carmen, um, just in our last minute here, for those who want to know more about this music, obviously Club Viva is not open right now. Nobody's open. Um, are there other places in town people can catch this when this is over? Would you encourage them to just do some research online? Absolutely. Um, I do have my dance company, Alamos del Ritmo Dance Company. But then I also put on to bring more culture to our, our environment um, is the St. Louis International Salsa Bachata Congress. And I've been doing that now for 10 years. It will be 11 years coming up this October. And that really brought um, uh, awareness to St. Louis is honing in and understanding the, the music and the culture and the dance here. And we've been uh, bringing dancers all the way from Dominican Republic and Italy to this event. Um, and, and people have been aware here culturally in the St. Louis area about what it is through that event. And we're going to have a link to that on our website. That's stlpublicradio.org. And so once all this is over, uh, pandemic-wise, um, if people want to join you or if they want to learn more about it in the meantime, we want to encourage them to look into that St. Louis International Salsa Bachata Congress. So uh, Carmen Gwynn, I want to thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. It was my pleasure. And pa you, uh, Pablo Sanhueza, thank you so much for being here. Thank, Thank you so, so much. Podcast episodes of St. Louis on the Air are available wherever you get your podcasts. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio 90.7 KWMU. Thank you for listening. I'm Sarah Fenske.
Support comes from Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to sustainable and sound conservation of the state's forests, which support more than 41,000 Missouri jobs, resulting in a $10 billion industry. Choosewood.com.